cooks in a lesbian relationship? Oh, God, this shit again. Who? No one. They both eat out. I regret asking. Two men broke into a pharmacy and stole all the Viagra. The police said to be on the lookout for hardened criminals. Ah, they must have had a hard time escaping. Bet. Why did the Mexican throw his wife off the bridge? Why? Tequila! That's racist. But kind of funny, so I'll let it pass. Gracias. Why does Batman only cover half of his face? Oh, God, not the Batman jokes again. It's for the police, so they'll know he's white. Okay, calm down, Joker. <laughs> Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Second run. Yes, you're listening to Sick and Wrong. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm on your host, E. Simon. Hi, I'm Kate Rambo. Hiya. Kate Rambo in the Los Angeles Sick and Wrong studio. Forever and ever and ever. <laughs> well, hopefully we get a bigger one eventually, but because uh, um, right now we're both in a one-bedroom apartment, but that's temporary. But you haven't even been here a week yet. No. A lot's happened this week, though, but not really. But yes, a lot. A lot has happened. Namely, Chi-Chi is here. Yes, my beloved angel was ferried across the ocean on an airplane, and he survived, and he met his goblin stepbrother, and they're still working things out. That Yeah, the uh, Chi-Chi's expression when he first saw his hairless white goblin brother is priceless it, it it was amazing it was one of what the fuck mixed with fear and then a heavy dose of it was mostly that like whole look of just what the fuck is that thing i don't blame him well i mean you know he he's obviously never seen a, he must have like he's never seen anything like that he must have known it it's it's a cat just by the smell but he was probably also like what the fuck happened to it yeah <laughs> hey birdie where's your coat my favorite thing about chi chi being here is uh you have these like cat scratching boards that are just like cardboard little boxes and that has become chi chi's emotional support cardboard cat scratcher and he just sails around on it he just sits on it, it looks like he's sailing off into the sunset yeah it's like these really cheap little cat scratching post things there you put them on the ground they're cardboard you can flip them over when they when they've torn up the one side but i mean they're like five bucks Four he bucks. loves it. I usually put like cat litter on it, and Calman will go eat the cat litter. Sometimes catnip. scratch for a little bit, or yeah, I mean catnip, catnip, catnip not cat litter. <laughs> I'll put catnip on it. Calman will like scratch it for a bit, eat a bit, and then kind of walk away bored. Chichi just kind of lays on it. He gets like high, a, like it's his bed. Yeah, he's like a small faces song. He gets high. Yeah, he'll lay on it for hours. It's 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 really bizarre. Um, but we get into that, all about that on the, uh, the deets on the second show, about Good. how we introduced them, what happened, and just all the details of, uh, of K. Rambo's big move here. And pictures. There'll be pictures there as well. Yeah, there will be some pics. But we have a, uh, this is more of a celebratory show. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of like Kate Rambo's Christmas. It is. Happy 9-11 day. Kate Rambo. Thank you. It is a very happy day. It was one of the funniest days in history. <laughs> for you. <laughs> um, this is your first 9-11 in the States, though. I know. Are we going to go out for like a special dinner or something? Will there be like a two-for-one special somewhere? A buy-one-get-one-free dinner? 
Maybe, but uh, are you going to wear your Halloween costume of the of the towers on fire? No, I wore that for the 10-year anniversary, and I'll never go back to that costume. I actually ended up throwing that costume into the river on the walk home with my boyfriend. Were you ashamed? Because I forced my boyfriend at the time to go as the uh, South Tower. No, well, I mean, it didn't matter. One of us was the North Tower. One of us was the South Tower. I had a plane sticking into me and then a load of cotton wool. That was kind of like, you know, I'd spray paint so it looked like he was on fire. But I'd taken out a huge chunk on him and he had tons of cotton wool and he was on fire. And originally I was going to put little mini Lego men on like fishing wire hanging down from it. But I didn't have the time to do that in the end. I was I spent a month making those costumes. And on the back, one of them said never and the other one said forget. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a good touch. So wait, why did you chuck it in the river? Were you ashamed? We'd been wearing them all night. And they, I must say, they were very fun to dance in because it's like wearing a robot costume. It's like very kind of basic. Boxy. Yeah, it's very basic. And I remember at one point somebody put their pint on me next to my head because uh, it was just such a good place. I had to go pee a few times. That was difficult. So people had to help me out the tower. They had to then stand with the tower and then they had to help me get back into the tower. Good times. Good times. We have a couple hours. Maybe you can embroider yourself like a sweater with the towers on fire. Well, my other Halloween costume that year was all because I like to theme things. I'm very much a femer. Um, and I did, um, I went as a 9 11 office worker to like the pub. We all went out to the pub. So all I did was like rough up some clothes, burn them a little, char them. And I made myself a little lanyard that said like floor 86 and uh, World Trade Center 1. <laughs> how, many, how many people got that? Nobody really got it till I showed them my lanyard. And I was also carrying around a stapler. Wait, did you do it on Halloween or did you do it on 9-11? No, this was the Halloween of the 10-year anniversary. So was it 2011? Oh, okay. So wait, what year did you wear the, the tower costume? Same year, 2011. I themed it. So you did two costumes. That were 9-11 themed. That were 9-11 themed. I did. Wow. You, you, you were into it. Uh, did you make like Twin Tower cupcakes Like get a couple ho-hos, stand them up vertically, put some red frosting on them? We can do that because I don't know what a ho-ho is. Let's, let's just like do that. It's like a little, little cupcake thing. Let, we'll Be do easy. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to celebrate some way. I mean, the fact of the matter is you have a history of making a mockery of America's most tragic day. Worst terrorism attack, I think, in uh, history, right? Yeah, it is, with the yeah. biggest fatality. Um, Need I uh, remind you of the painting you attempted to commission uh, from uh, Jojo Kelly? Feelings were hurt on Jojo Kelly's side that day. But I have since found another artist, and her name is Claudia. And she is a fantastic artist in her own right. Who's going to paint it for us? Well, I found it, I found it kind of hilarious that you'd go to Jojo Kelly, who is a New Yorker. Born He's a and great raised artist. in New York City, and ask him to paint something like this. Why not? He paints other weird things. Yeah, but he wouldn't paint something like this. Is like the Twin Towers. That was like you know, he has New York pride. He's he's from New York City. No New Yorker. Right? Do you think every Londoner on Seven Seven is booing their fucking eye? Maybe the ones who lost family. But do you think every Londoner on Seven Seven is like can't get on a bus today? Can't get on the tube today? Oh, it's National Pride Day today. No, no. We just crack on with it, don't we? Because you know what? We because Seven Seven was just like a a, an isolated terrorist attack that happens all the time. Nine Eleven was a massive terrorist attack that brought down two buildings. Metaphorical of like you know these buildings were representative of like you know, capitalism throughout the world. It was a huge, huge tragedy. Mate, you three, say that. Almost 3,000 people died. I How know, many people I, died on 7-7? Just question. I, I don't know. Like uh, 10? No, more probably. than that. But 
like I didn't even know what the twin towers were until wow. until they, until they were felled. You you probably didn't read the newspaper ever either. Well, in, well, why would I need to know what the twin towers were? It's they were just the New York some skyline. You must have seen it, but you must have seen I it. I have in seen movies. them in films, but yeah, I'm not like, like what the fuck are those two tall skyscrapers? They don't look as good as the Empire State Building. That would have been more iconic. Well, the, the, yeah, that would have been iconic, but I think it had more of an impact uh, symbolically with the, with the Twin Towers. Well, it did. But yeah, Joe, Ke- Joe Kelly was like, what? I remember he, he messaged me. He's like, your girlfriend is asking me to paint a picture of you. Because I think at the time we weren't married. He's like, ask me to paint a picture of, of you two standing in front of the Twin Towers as they burn. In the 69 position. No. With the that. towers burning in the background. Like, well, I, you know, I'm not going to do that. And I was like, I don't blame you. Well, Claudia will. Because <laughs> you know what? Claudia's got a great sense of humor and she's a fantastic artist. And you plan to hang this painting over the, uh, the bed in, in the our guest, eventual guest bedroom. It's going in the guest bedroom, which is where all the horrible art is going to go. Because you do that because you don't want the guests to stay for very long. You don't want them to outstay their welcome. And they're not going to. Well, they would see that. I mean, just the, the fact that we're 69ing. I never they're said 69 wa- They're not going to want to look at that. I never once said 69ing. I'm sure Claudia I said, would paint I said it, though. I said... <laughs> Claudia, <laughs> artists, uh, you can do what you want, babe. You can do it. So what do people, in, do people even acknowledge 9-11? Through memes in Britain. Through memes, mate, and jokes all day and long. jokes all day long. But yeah. I mean, no one else is saying anything. There's no like uh, moment of silence or anything. Why would we have a moment of silence for America on 9-11? Who is? Because we're America. <laughs> do, so do you recall where you were when 9-11 happened? Oh, I, I was when sleeping. It went down? I was hungover. In bed sleeping, well, and it was just before I got kicked out the house uh, for being a, a tearaway. And my mum came into the room while I was hungover and said, "The twin towers have been attacked and they're falling." And I just went, "What You're the like, fuck?" What? Yeah, I said, "What the fuck are the twin <laughs> towers? Get out my room!" And then I just went back to sleep. And then when I woke up, I watched put all on the a footage. Marilyn Manson record. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and then when I woke up, I put on the footage, and I was like, "Holy shit, that's that's fucking gnarly stuff." And, and then obviously we all have our for people who like all that type of stuff. We all have our nine eleven moments. There'll be always be like one month out of the year where I'm like, I'm just going to watch tons of documentaries about the people who jumped, and that's all I watch. See, I'm not all that interested in that. I do like uh, what we're going to talk the subject matter of uh, of this week's show. Um, but I'm not usually, I get, I find the 9-11 movies boring. What are you talking you about? Know? World Trade Center and Nicolas Cage is a fantastic I didn't mind picture. Zeitgeist. I just, I don't know. I, I don't really need to see the Nicolas some Cage film is dead emotionally coach. wrought film about 9-11. It's not emotionally wrought. It's a, it's an action movie. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, it's almost like an environmental disaster movie. Don't need to watch that either. I like some of them. Yeah. I like Nicolas Cage. I'll watch anything with him in. I think everyone knows that. I know people are into that, but yeah, I don't usually tend to do that. But I do find 9-11 and the act of terrorism that occurred Hilarious. that day fascinating, actually. It's, it is fascinating. I recall it was listen, um, 2001. I had just been laid off from my dot-com job at the Industry Standard. And uh, my mom had died like a week earlier. And I got laid off. It's like a double whammy. And so I think I was really hungover that day and I didn't get out of bed till like uh, maybe like 2.30 or 3 and I went and turned on the news and I was like what the fuck did you have dreads back then paint the picture I did have dreads nice yeah I had dreads at the at the time and I was just kind of like and I remember sitting there because I was like smoking weed drinking coffee and I'm like 
is this for real? Like America got attacked. The twin towers were blown up by planes. Like I thought it was, I don't know, for some reason I thought it was like a hoax or something. And I, I flipped a couple of channels and then I tried, I was trying to call Kessler because, uh, you know, he lived in New York and he actually Lower East Side, not even that far away from uh, where the Twin Towers are. And you couldn't get through to anyone in New York. Yeah, of course. And so I was like, holy shit. And then uh, my sister called me and we were, we were chatting like, well, this is fucking crazy. And so then I was trying to call him and I finally got through to him. I mean, probably like two or three hours after. And uh, I was like, dude, are you going outside taking pictures? Like, this is, like, a, you know, a historical event. Like, you got to go, you know, I, I would go outside. I want yeah, to check cool. it out. Yeah, embrace it, buddy. He was like, dude, it's not cool. I went outside to go get cigarettes. He's like, there's, like, people, like, walking around covered in, like, soot and blood. And it's not cool. Did he get his cigarettes, though? He did get his cigarettes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was also going out to go score. Scott, yeah. Dude, it's not cool. I <laughs> can't get just, my heroin. But, I mean, wouldn't you have wanted to go check it out? Um, yes and no, because I do think it is an absolutely terrifying, horrible event, and you would have been shit scared, especially if you were as close to it as he might have been. And, like, breathing and all that stuff, I'd have been like, Well, no. that's the thing. I'd breathing, have been fucking worried. He was like, you don't even want to walk around breathing that. Well, yeah, because now it's giving everyone a lot of weird cancers. But, no, I think it would have been. It's, I, I think it's I would have gone outside. It's good for us to make jokes, but it, it is fucking terrifying when you think about it. I would have wanted to go check it out. I mean, it's, it's, it, I mean it, was, it, was, it was a shocking event. But it was also a very humbling moment for the U.S. of A. Oh, yeah. I mean, Think uh, about it. the U.S. stopped being belligerent for 10 minutes. <laughs> for 10 minutes. Yeah. It, it did show, though, our vulnerability, though. Totally. Because to I don't think anyone would have ever thought about, you know, an event, a terrorist act like that could occur on U.S. soil. I mean, we you say did, that, but the Taliban was like, we're going to do it. <laughs> well, yeah. There, there were warning signs that were obviously ignored. Um but I mean, we've had domestic terrorist attacks, but nothing on the level of uh, 9-11, you know? Um, and uh, not to mention that attack made flying the most annoying way to travel forever. Uh, for women mainly, not for men, I might add. For women. No, it's, it's a war on women. I know you bring that up, and that is true, but not in the U.S. it's not as big of a deal. You can bring more. I know you're saying because you have like the little bag for your makeup and all that shit. In the U.S., they don't care as much. So Good. flying here, that's not as big of a deal. But what I'm talking about, we have to take our fucking shoes off. There's a massive line. We got to go through the machine that looks like looks at our dicks. Good. Good, good day. But that's annoying for everybody. No, it's good because I don't want to be on a plane where a guy can take over it kamikaze style and like fire me into a mountain. I don't want that. I don't know. It's just annoying. And now we got to see everybody's disgusting feet during security. Yeah, that is rank. Please. One thing I've never understood is you know you have to go through security. You know you have to take your shoes off. Why aren't you wearing socks? Like, have you seen That's people? That's what I was about to say. Have you seen people just barefoot men. walking Men, it's on always the... men. No, I've seen a lot of women. Oh, too, I always women, see the men's. You know, women's shoes, a lot of women don't wear socks. So I've seen, I've seen both. I've seen both because men are wearing like fucking gross sandals or something. And I've, also, I've often thought about that too. It's like, why would you just let them go through with the sandals? They don't trust them. That's why. And so you see these disgusting feet <laughs> on the ground. It, it, it sickens me. That's how verrucas are spread, which, you know, I would say that verrucas have probably impacted and made more lives harsher than World Trade Center ever did. I don't even know what that is. Is that athlete's foot? No, you've never had a verruca. I don't even know what that is. Verruca are like those little like black itchy things that you get on your feet that you get from like swimming places. You have to wear the swimming socks. Is that like a planter's wart? 
are they the same thing? They Must be the be. same thing. Yeah, Verrucas. I've had Verrucas. I used to swim competitively. I got Verrucas all the fucking time, and oh, they're so annoying. Fucking gross. I would never. I would never put my bare feet on the fucking floor of an airport, especially by TSA. Anyway, this week <laughs> we're gonna celebrate uh, episode nine eleven by reviewing the best conspiracies and some of the more bizarre yet ambitious. You know, terrorist act- actions that inspired the, that were inspired by the events of September 11, uh, both on uh, on the main show as well as the second show. It's a 9/11 special. It's a 9/11 special for episode 9/11. Before we get to to all of that, let's chat about something a little bit more significant that you should never forget: the sick and wrong patron. Because I think a lot of people forget that our show is on Patreon as well as uh, Apple Podcasts now. Um, but if you if you like what we do here, if you if you support the uh, sick and wrongness that we spew every week, uh, we just ask you to sign up for the patron. Uh, you know, subscribe to Apple Podcasts, second show right on Apple Podcasts, and uh, just support the show. Keep it keep it going here. You know, for only a few bucks a month, it's I'm talking five dollars a month. That's it. You get access to the sick and wrong second show. Um, which is an entire show, a second show, a bonus show that if we do every week. Uh, this week on Second Show, we chat about all the details of Kate and Chi-Chi's big move to the U.S., including me having to drive to London because of the fucking train strikes. That sucked. You did a very good job. And Kate's refusal to award my good job by letting me go see Stonehenge, which oh, uh, we're barely even an hour away from it. I need Gino here right now because <laughs> you're not seeing Stonehenge. Yeah, exactly. She's like, uh, you're you're kind of like the Gestapo or something. Good. Um, uh, The introduction of Caliban and Chi-Chi. We, we talk about how that went down. And then we get into some of the more bizarre terrorist plots that uh, didn't quite pan out. Uh, like the butt bomber. The famous butt bomber. So that's only five bucks a month. You get access to the second, the second show over on uh, on the Patreon. Uh, you get access to the Sick and Wrong Discord. Uh, you can also subscribe to the second show just on Apple Podcasts. You don't even need to sign up for Patreon. There's a couple different ways there. Uh, for a few bucks more, you get access to um, uh, Overkill, our bonus minisode, as well as, um, I know you're coming out with a uh, serial killer star sign. Yeah, Virgo, and I Virgo. love me I love me my Virgos. They're, my, they're opposite me on the astrology sign, so I always get on with Virgos, with so, besties. Uh, so, that, so that's coming out soon, as well as the Sick and Wrong archives are all available on uh, Patreon. So patreon.com slash Wrong. Uh, sign up today and uh, and and support the show. So let me play this quick promo, and then uh, let's chat about some of the most bonkers 9/11 conspiracy theories. Hey, sick and wrong listeners! If you're not currently a sick and wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. I used to write letters to like my. Like I used to write letters to like Molly Crew and like. Wait, did Tommy Lee? I don't remember exactly who I was writing it to. Wait, do you like, have these letters? No, I, I sent it to the to the to the address. To the what, what did you say yeah. in the letter? Like I want to touch your hair. Like I'm sure it was just. I'm sure. I don't know. I was in like fifth grade. Yeah, but what would you say? Or to- fourth grade. <laughs> I don't know, like who. Like, just wave, man. You're so cool, man. Yeah. I hope when I grow up, man, I'm just like you, cool you dudes, are, man. Yeah, you're you latex pants, man. I did, but I'll say this: poison. 
<laughs> Poison is the only band that actually sent something back. Like a dick What pic? did they it send was, you uh, back? Brett, Brett Michaels' lock of hair. No way. <laughs> it was like just some like, you know, I don't know. Our, dick here's our thanks fan. Are, thanks are writing here's a, to it. a list of shit you could buy or whatever. Like, <laughs> join our, pay for our fan <laughs> club or something. Yeah, but at least they sent something back. Like n- nobody else. Wait, fucking Axel Rose didn't send anything back. Fuck him, <laughs> asshole. Do you think like uh, Vince Neil still has your letter? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> sure he does. He, he just hasn't gotten around to it. He just hasn't written you back. <laughs> <laughs> it's just covered in cum. Yeah. <laughs> For only five dollars a month, you can enjoy these special moments: a bonus news story, extra phone calls. And an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. But don't you ever so, D, I don't know if you know, but the moment that the bullet from Lee Harvey Oswald's rifle entered John Fitzgerald brain on November the 22nd, 1963, that was the birth of the, con- the modern conspiracy theory. Yeah, I don't even know. Like, did people have conspiracy theories about like Abraham Lincoln? Oh, there probably is now. <laughs> there definitely yeah, probably but is I, now. I know the modern conspiracy theory kind of kind of came from that pivotal um, assassination. You know, people say it wasn't Lee Harvey, man. I saw that Oliver Stone film. I know it, man. The government wanted him dead because of Cuba, man. Despite the fact that all evidence points to Lee Harvey and no one else. Those who can read a QAnon article think that they can magic a bullet out of thin air. <laughs> they know everything. They do. By the time that JFK's brains had long since dried on the lever of the 1961 Lincoln Continental presidential limousine and on the iconic Let Them See What They Have Done pink Chanel suit of Jackie O, although she was a K at the time, her li- you know, that was her lot in life to be served the misfortune of very horrible husbands that all had huge bank balances. They would once again rise up. In the smoke of the Twin Towers, still the deadliest terrorist attack worldwide, claiming almost 3,000 lives. Although I would say it's now definitely gone over 3,000 because everyone's getting really weird cancers. Yeah, I wonder if that counts. Like the It counts. Like the emergency personnel and the firefighters are dying now. Does that still count towards the total body count? I don't know if they'll put them on the memorial, but to me it counts. It's a 9-11 related death. And actually one of my favorite websites, I have two favorite websites that I spend a lot of time on. One of them is The Fallen uh, Policemen. Throughout all of time of America, it's very interesting. And I just go and click on them. But obviously when you get to New York, it's huge. And everyone, it's just like 9-11. But they are saying it's 9 related. But that was the aftermath. Yeah, they say it's still 9-11 related. The facts of 9-11 are uncontested. 19 terrorists that we can name and shame hijacked four jetliners, flying two into the World Trade Center, one into the Pentagon, and another that was likely headed for the White House, never hit its intended target, and instead went down in a field in Shitsville, PA, also called Shanksville. Shanksville. I prefer Shitsville. I do too. As bodies rained down from the towers, lips were flapping that it was an inside job. Anyone had done it except Al-Qaeda. The towers had been rigged with explosives, ready for this moment. Jet fuel does not melt steel beams. Bush ordered the attacks. If Bush didn't, then his administration did. Israel did it. The Jews with their lasers did it. And all this malicious gossip and blatant lies were so widespread amongst the hillside skin eaters and breeders of America, but that by the middle of Bush's term, up to a third of the public believed the U.S. government had assisted in the attacks in some way. 
or they didn't take any action to stop the attacks and instead offered up the deaths of 2,996 people, including at least 343 FDNY firefighters. This number is now rising because of all the weird cancers, right? Well, I think part of it is at the time, people were trying to explain it and justify it and figure out why did this happen? Who's at fault? Like, that's kind of what you do. You know, you, you got to blame someone. I know, but I think a lot of people are scared of the truth and they just want, they can't look at the facts as they are. Well, I think there's, I think there's a few reasons that we're going to get into, but I do think part of it is like people are looking for answers. Like, how could this happen to America? Well, we're going to tell and you so how it It's got to be because of the president or the administration or something. But yeah, I mean, conspiracy theories always come from, you know, a catastrophic experience such as this. So the number of idiots that believe that uh, it was an inside job has dropped somewhat since then. There's around one in six Americans thinks that the Bush administration knew about the impending attack and that they stood by and let it happen so that they could attack the Middle East or that the government it's itself committed the attacks. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> it's hard to buy either one of those. And I think people are definitely reaching, trying to think that actually happened. Um, but, I mean, there, 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 there were consequences of the war that definitely affected um, Bush and some other members of his administration. Oh, yeah. Positively in many, in many respects. Yeah, but, I mean, war always benefits rich men. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think they, would, they wanted this to happen, um, but it did serve some of their purposes. These so-called theories, which are entirely groundless, gave way to the truthism movement, uh, where woke millennials and boomers sit in their dank basement rec rooms. You know, they're reading strangers' opinions on uninformed websites as, as the facts, and they're regurgitating that information to other pale, inbred, brain-starved troglodytes with little concern for substantiating or referencing or double-checking. And these people might not be wearing MAGA hats. In the beginning, it was actually Democrats and liberals who were probably libertarians anyways, who fanned the flames. Democratic rep Cynthia McKinney was one of the first to call for an investigation in 2002, asking the Republican administration, what do they have to hide? Why don't you just look into it? The real facts are all out there. In a variety of polls in the first decade after the attacks, uh, where Burberry trench coats, low-ride jeans with thongs, and bumpets. Do you remember when chicks all wore bumpets? Yeah, Were they a thing what, in America? What's a bumpet? That's the thing that you put in your hair to like bump your hair up. Bumpet. I have bumpets. Bump I wore them all the time. I do not know what that is. I'd have to look at it. I will show you later. What about Uggs? When were those? Oh popular? my god, Uggs are still popular. But were those? When did they come around? Was around that, then, yeah. Was it around that time? Yeah, right. around then. Democrats were actually more likely than the Republicans to call themselves truthers. In a quote from Washington Post, in a 2006 Ohio University survey, 51 percent of Democrats signed on to some form of truthism, while only 18 percent of Republicans did the same. The survey is imperfect. It doesn't include a somewhat unlikely option. And the other polls show much higher percentage that don't know. But it demonstrates that truthism had a solid foothold on the left. But that makes sense, though, because it's partisan politics. I think if, uh, you know, if a Democrat had been, if like Al Gore was president at that time, Democrats, I don't think would have been like, Al Gore's behind this. People already distrusted Bush. The election was uh, contested at the time. So I think there was, you know, a distrust of what happened there. Right. People already didn't like him. They're trying to shift the blame because it's partisan politics, which is the, 
which is you know a fact of our lives here in the states. But you know, if you think about it, trutherism on the left kind of became QAnon it for the mutated. right. It mutated. Yeah, yes. it sort of mutated, even though the lunatic fringe right has always been around. I mean, look at McCarthyism. Well, so, has left, so has all the very liberalists. They've always been around too. Yeah, but I don't think, but I'm not talking like the lunatic fringe Democrats, I think, that are around now. That are shooting Andy Warhol. Like the far, yeah, the far left. But I don't think they've been around as long as like the batshit Republicans. At the time. And QAnon is already like, how many liberals are QAnon believers? I've met a few and it's weird. Yeah, but I think most QAnon members are far right. I think, it's, yeah. I think it's rare to meet somebody that's like, oh yeah, I voted for Biden, yet you're a member of QAnon. Yeah, no, but it is weird, but they are out there. But I'm not surprised that truthism started with the Dems. I mean, uh, they, they were so anti-Bush since that election. Yeah. So if this is a way that they can discredit him or blame him for some reason or blame that administration. Then they're like, going to go for it. Yeah, for sure. By the time that Obama was actually sworn in, at least a quarter of Democrats claimed to believe in trutherism. But by the time Trump took office in December of 2016, the polls swung in his favor. And now the MAGA like crowd became the new symbol of conspiracy theories. The hatred for Bush was kind of all but forgotten. Not my president became the old slogan in view of come back and please be our fucking president because we don't want this guy. Republicans now looked unkindly on Bush who made a few veiled critiques about Trump, and he in turn embraced all conspiracy theories, and he praised truthers such as Alex Jones. Well, that's one thing prior to Trump. I mean, Alex Jones was a huge 9-11 truther. That's kind of oh, how God, he started yeah. his career. Fucking idiot. Yeah. Then he was never, I, I would say, by any stretch of the imagination, is he a liberal, but maybe libertarian. He's like the very far right side of libertarian. Of, uh, he's like Tea Party libertarian. I think he's more of a Republican now. Definitely since, now. Since now since it's because the they're all. Well, I think also, yeah. Since, <laughs> since since Trump lost the election, but I think also, you know, now that the Republican Party is full on embraced the whacked out QAnon theories, he's like, all right, this is my party. He's going for it. Trump kind of brought conspiracy theories back into the mainstream. It's now okay to believe everything you read again, with both political parties indulging themselves where no sense makes sense. And in cases such as these bonker conspiracy theories we'll get into, they want to believe. They need to believe because it's all they fucking got, man. It's all they have. Bless them. So we're going to start with the most obvious, which is George Bush is the real terrorist. And he did, he like sacrificed his own American citizens so that he could go and wage war in the Middle East. Established by Congress and President George W. Bush, the National Commission on Terrorist Attacks upon the United States, better known as the 9-11 Commission Final Report, which took three years to compile before being released to the public in June of 2004, it paints a darker truth than George wanting oil money. It shows just how vastly unprepared America was for any form of attack. And as a new immigrant dealing with the American infrastructure, I can attest to that. Well, I mean... You guys don't make things easy. Well, yeah, infrastructure, bureaucracy, everything here is a clusterfuck. But this this was something that I don't think they... Even though there are warning signs, I think due to hubris, they never thought it could happen. And arrogance, they're like, you know, this, this would never happen. They're completely unprepared. I mean, they were thinking any a terrorist attack would occur in an embassy in like Libya, or which something. makes sense because that's the trend. It, it does make sense, and that is what happened. They didn't think like, 
your dudes from caves in Afghanistan could get all the way over to New York and bomb the Trade Center. Like, it just seemed unbelievable at the time. So I, they definitely were vastly unprepared. And I think it was kind of a bureaucratic nightmare, too, between, like, the different uh, Oh, it always has teams. been. Yeah, the FBI, yeah. the CIA. They just don't talk groups. to each other. Lack of communication. So 9-11 was a shock, but it was not a surprise. Out of the 19 terrorists, some had been in the United States for more than a year, with four of them training as pilots across multiple flight schools. As early as February 93, the threat of Islamic terrorism had been growing when a group led by Ramzi Yosef, we go with that, Ramzi Yosef, he tried to bring down the World Trade Center with a truck bomb. I mean, truck bombs are all the rage in 1993. It was like you must have accessory. Yeah, I mean, it worked for the uh, the Oklahoma. Yeah, uh, McVeigh. Six people died and over a thousand were injured. In early 95, police in Manila uncovered a plot by Ramsey to blow up a dozen U.S. airliners while they were flying over the Pacific, which is very Lockerbie. And until 1997, the U.S. intelligence community viewed bin Laden as a financier of terrorism, but not a terrorist leader. And in February 98, uh, Osama bin Laden and four others issued a self-styled fatwa where they publicly declared that it was God's decree that every Muslim should try his utmost to kill any American military or civilian anywhere in the world because of American occupation of Islam's holy places and aggression against Muslims. Well, that sounds a bit harsh. You know, they've got to do what they got to do. <laughs> In August of 98, bin Laden's group, Al-Qaeda, they carried out near-simultaneous truck bomb attacks on the U.S. embassies in Nairobi, Kenya, and uh, Dar es Salaam. Uh, I was nearly said Tanzania then. It is Tanzania, isn't it? I was going to yeah. say Tanzania. No, it's Tanzania. Tanz- but it, it sounds so much nicer saying Tanzania. Because it's like a crazy place where like a Warner Brothers cartoon would happen in Tanzania. Yeah, but it makes me think of Tasmania. Which is yeah, which place. is also I know it's it's totally different. I know I just like saying <laughs> it more that way. I know I say it wrong. Who cares? The attacks killed two hundred twenty-four people, including twelve Americans, and it wounded thousand more. Thousand more during the spring and summer of two thousand and one. U.S. intelligence agencies they received a stream of warnings that Al Qaeda Al Qaeda had planned, as one report put it, something very very big. What could it be? Director of Central Intelligence George Tennant told us the system was blinking red. And that was the summer of 2001. So that's only a couple months prior, yeah. but still. We're going to need a bigger boat, morning. boys. Yeah. Yeah. But because most of the action, like you said, it had been taking place overseas, that's where the Clinton and the Bush administration, they'd been focusing like their security and where they'd been pumping the money into. It wasn't into homeland. It was abroad. So before the attacks, this is like in 2000, FBI agent uh, Roger Wright Jr., who was on the uh, Bureau of Chicago Counterterrorism Task Force, had written vigorous criticisms of the FBI's incompetence in investigating terrorists that were currently living, residing in the United States. Right. Like there are terrorist cells, Al-Qaeda terrorist cells in the United States, and the FBI was like, eh. Um, <laughs> according to James Bamford, the NSA had picked up communications between two of the hijackers. Um, uh, Al-Midar, um, Khalid Al-Midar, and uh, Nawaf Al-Hazmi. This was in 99. They'd got communications that were talking about bombing oh, that was they it were like, planning. You take the North Tower and I'll take the South Tower. Well, I don't tower. think it was that explicit, <laughs> but they had picked up communications, had them translate and be like, okay, these are some terrorists that are on American soil that are planning terrorist acts. Uh, but they'd been hampered by internal 
FBI, CIA conflicts between, um, and didn't they didn't even do a full analysis of this information, and they just kind of passed it on uh, to the CIA, and they didn't even pass it on with the full names of the terrorists. Lol. Yeah, it was like barely <laughs> even an investigation. Uh, Bamford also claims that the CIA's Alex Station, who was the unit assigned specifically to Bin, Bin Laden, knew that Al Midar was planning to come to New York as far back as January 2000. Knew that they were planning an attack in, in New York. So you'd think they would be like, all right, let's, let's be vigilant here. We should be on alert. Uh, Doug Miller, one of three FBI agents working inside the CIA, uh, tried to send a message to the FBI to alert them about an imminent attack that was being planned in New York City. Um, and then they could put Al Midar on a watch list and, and, and make sure they're tracking his whereabouts. His CIA boss, Tom Wilshire, deputy station chief, denied permission for him to do this, said it was unnecessary. And so he asked his associate, Mark Rossini, who was a former agent with the Bureau, um, who actually played a role in tracking Al-Qaeda before the attacks. Um, he asked him for advice, and Rossini was like, let me pressure you know, the deputy to get him to do this. He was also turned down from passing on this information. I mean, there'll be reasons beyond anything. Maybe, but know. it kind of sounds like to me, it's like big dick swinging between two different well, I mean, departments. It, yeah, it's always going to be like that. You know? Yeah. Um, so uh, Mark Rossini, uh, he was, he told, um, in, he wrote a book called The Spy Factory that came out. But in it, he was like, there's a direct quote uh, from, um, uh, from Doug, who said, we've got to tell the Bureau about this. These guys are clearly, clearly bad. One of them, at least, has a multiple entry visa to the U.S. We've got to tell the FBI. And then the CIA officer said, no, it's not the FBI's case, not the FBI's jurisdiction. So Sorry. We don't need to deal. So yeah. it's kind of that botched handoff between the CIA to the FBI is considered one of the most embarrassing Security failures in U.S. history. And now it's the centerpiece of a massive lawsuit by thousands of relatives of the 9-11. Good. Who claim that Saudi Arabian officials helped the hijackers inside the U.S. It could be true, could not well, be true. I mean, it definitely was true. The money was coming true. from somebody, somewhere. It's also true. You know, the Boston bombers, they say that, um, oh, I can never pronounce his name, but the older brother who died, he was actually an agent for the FBI. He oh. was, legit. And that's how they got their visas over here. So it happens, definitely. Yeah, yeah. As for the Palatos themselves, they had numerous problems. Uh, some had found a group of like-minded Muslims in San Diego, and they lived openly under their own names. Three of the four pilots arrived on the East Coast by the summer of 2000. And in early 2001, the fourth would be the hijacking pilot. He was training in Arizona. Some of the plotters dropped out of the scheme because they were probably looking for a future with more Baja blasts and less building blasts. And some were refused entry into the States or they were arrested for immigration violations, which should happen. Well, what's staggering here, though, is none of the hijackers even use fake names. <laughs> why, would you, why would you, though? Why would you need to? If they can't really trace you back, if you're not I doing anything naughty back in your home country, what's, what's I would wrong? be concerned. I, w- I mean, I wouldn't use, like, an American name. Like, you know how, like, sometimes you call AT&T and customer services in Mumbai, and the guy's like, hi, my name is Dan. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. your name's not Dan. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far, but I would probably use another Arabic name that's, like, a fake name. I would have my initials be WTC. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> they probably still wouldn't get it. But you know, they didn't even live underground. They didn't live in like you know. They lived at uh, normal. They, no, they, they they didn't avoid contact with ordinary Americans. I mean, these guys were working out at the gym. They had video. You know, they they were playing video games. You know, online with different people. College A was yeah in one. college and and things like that. They were going to um, they were going to like the video store, like Blockbuster, running movies. They were essentially hiding in plain sight, which I think is the way to do it. I mean, I guess it is because if gonna... you're acting shady, you're going to be more obvious than if you're just like walking around the streets. I still would have been on the DL. Like I still would have kind of been if I was like the head of the terrorist group here. I think I'd be like, dude. Like, don't go crazy here. Stop drinking your Baja Blasts. Yeah, Come like, on. you know, hanging out at the bar. I'm sure they're probably trying to go out the bar scoring with chicks. Well, maybe not. They don't drink. But still, they might have been trying to score with chicks. Oh, why not? Yeah, flirting a bit. Yeah, flirting, hanging out, just being Americans. I'm surprised that after doing that for six months, they're like, you know what? Fuck the caves in Afghanistan. <laughs> this is way better. No, I'm surprised. After six months of like dealing with the DMV and dealing with the post office, they were probably like, fuck it, we should just blow up this whole country. <laughs> Start again, boys. So although they were being watched by the intelligence community, they were all considered low level. And even as far as late summer of 2001, Al-Qaeda had still not given the go-ahead for the attacks. Uh, Mullah Omar, who was the Taliban chief, was against it, but bin Laden overruled him. On 9-11, the defense of U.S. airspace uh, depended on close interaction between two federal agencies. So we had the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, and North American Aerospace Defense Command, uh, NORAD, which is probably NORAD. Existing protocols on 9-11 were unsuited in every respect for an attack in which hijacked planes were used as weapons. But I can't tell you in which country. I don't think any country is prepared for hijacked planes being used as weapons well it's also kind of a, at that point too it's the ethical consideration because now you're like you can't there's american shoot the plane citizens down. on those there's people yeah you know there's there's you know civilians on these planes so we can't really shoot them down and plus we don't really fully know what's going on where they're going where it's going to yeah. happen yeah. so i mean and plus if you think about it, prior hijacks is they would hijack the plane and go somewhere yeah like to somalia yeah or cuba or something but this was completely different so yeah. it was unexpected 9-11 was obviously another intelligence failure like pearl harbor was 60 years as the crow flies before which also led to the mccarthy witch hunts uh, not too long long after which is another example of contemporary right-wing uh, paranoid display but anyways was george bush an evil mastermind I don't think so. In the wake of 9-11, he changed the legal landscape of America by secretly spying on Americans. He authorized a new secret military tribunal system, and he secretly started arresting Muslim and Arab men. He is not guilty of 9-11. Sure, he put all his proverbial eggs in one basket, but so had Clinton, and both are certainly guilty of committing war crimes. I think Bush might be a little bit worse. Bush is way worse. He's probably the, the highest body count of any of the presidents. His legacy will be that because of his reaction to 9-11, it caused a separation of powers both abroad and on homeland. It like created a rise in immigration and surveillance fears, and it destroyed confidence worldwide in the American government and at home too. If he hadn't declared war and all his secretive little extras on top, then maybe the Democrats wouldn't have hated him so much and America's reputation wouldn't have been so damaged either. Well, that's the interesting thing about what happened with George Bush. So his administration, 
this is one of the reasons why there's so much ire with the Democrats, but especially now with Republicans who look back on them and say, like, we're not, you know, we're not establishment Republicans. You know, that's what Trump tries to play, play himself as in Vivek, you know, Vivek uh, Rumaswamy, the guy that's like Trump's lickspittle. Mm-hmm. They're trying to say, like, we're not establishment Republicans like all these other Republicans because we were against, you know, the uh, Iraqi war from the get go. You know, we thought it was we knew it was a lie. And that was the thing. George Bush's administration kind of paved that way for the big lie. I know Trump uses that to say the, the election steal. But the big lie was uh, that, that uh, you know, Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. And that's why we need to go in there and invade that country. I mean, everyone knew that was bullshit, though. Everyone knew it was. No, at the time, the media was pushing it. People were pushing it. The con- Congress voted for it. They were pushing this. At the time, people didn't know. Even your country. Tony Blair didn't know either. No, like, we all fucking knew it was a fucking well, bullshit we war. Knew. And our, I remember when they took the vote about if we should go to war with America or not. And it was so fucking close. It was like 49-50. But there's a lot of like people that. who did believe it. I was against it. I even was in protest against that. I was at uni at the time. I didn't protest that day because I had to work, but everyone else went and I was like, nothing's going to change if you protest. Not, but it's not in Carlisle, boys. But that whole misinformation filled campaign that led up to the Iraq war, weapons of mass destruction, yeah. all the bullshit that they were peddling, that's kind of an example of the, of the post-truth era. You know, I mean, that kind of led, that, that kind of led the, the conspiracy. And that's kind of one of the reasons why there's so many 9-11 conspiracy theories. It's because the government clearly lied to us about WMDs to initiate a war in Iraq. Why wouldn't they lie about the Twin Towers? Because they didn't do it. That's why. I know, but I'm just saying the foundation yeah, I get of the it. belief for these, these things. It's like the government, and it's been proven, that whole Iraq war and the, the, the basis for the invasion is bullshit there were no weapons of mass destruction so after finding out that the government clearly peddled a lie it's like well okay maybe the twin towers what else you've been lying to us totally well for me right george bush just wanted to play golf he doesn't want to blow up the world trade center and for those that are chiming in with well he did it for the oil money that's why they did it the united states department of defense direct spending on the war in iraq totaled at least 1.8 trillion, which I can't even wrap my head around trillions. Like imagine trillions in this room right now would fill it up. More than half a million people died. It's not worth it for oil, which is going to run out in about 220 years anyways. We all know deep down that it's all about the spice and he who controls it becomes master of the universe or something daft like that. Well, I agree with you. But uh, that 1.8 trillion was a cost of the taxpayers, not the Bush family. I mean, they profited handsomely from the Yeah, but the they war. also paid Along with Cheney, tax. along with Rumsfeld, along with, you know, that, that whole administration. Rich men always profit in war. I know, but I mean, this war directly impacted them. So I don't think Bush was like, oh, let's bomb the, the, the Twin Towers. I don't, think he was, I don't think he was doing that. But I also think Bush was more of a puppet to more dangerous people like Karl Rove and Dick Cheney, who were really calling the shots, and who stood to gain a lot more from that war. Did they bomb the, the Twin Towers? I doubt it. Um, but what's interesting is the failures of the Bush administration uh, made Trump's takeover of the Republican Party possible. I mean, that was, that was the thing. Trump's style of politics you know, depends on 
I'm anti-establishment. You can't trust this government. You can't trust the I media. I won't lie to you, man. Well, but that's where you came in. He's like, these these yeah. people lie to you. I'm not lying to you, even though he's lying every every <laughs> second every second sentence that comes out of that man's mouth. But that the failures of what Bush did and what Karl Rove did and what Rumsfeld did, especially right. in Iraq, led to the what we're dealing with right now with the batshit crazy Republicans. So the day of September the 11th, 2001, for all those who aren't old enough to remember it, it began with the 19 hijackers going through security checkpoints that they had studied, analyzed, and they knew how to defeat. This was their 19th attempt at cracking the checkpoints, and this was their 19th successful attempt. So yes, I think airport security did need to change. It's just crazy to me that they could get they could get a knife on the plane. Like, under, box cutters are mostly plastic. Yeah, but... It's concealable, but knives? I think by the 19th time, they were like... Yeah, I mean, what are they just putting in their, like, shirt pocket? Hello, officer. I was like, well, strolling on in. He's got, like, 10 knives sticking out. Yeah. He was juggling them. Just in his hat. In groups of about four or five, using only small knives, box cutters, cans of mace and pepper spray... They overwhelmed aircrew and passengers alike easily as no one was prepared for what was to come. And they hijacked four planes and they turned them into deadly guided suicide missiles. Yeah, it's insane that they're able to, to do that. I mean, I guess that is one of the reasons why, um, you know, why we have airport security, why we have to take our why shoes I off. I get that. No, I get it. I get it. But it does blow my mind that it was that easy to sneak on cans of mace and pepper spray. <laughs> what, I've, what I'd be very interested to read, like you can read all the FBI files for this. It's huge. It's like 60,000 fucking pages or something daft like that. But I would love to know about their 19 over a, a, attempts. Like where were they doing it? Where were they going through? What planes did they get on? To the, And then when they were on the planes, it would have been like, because they, they had strategies. So they would have been practicing them. I wonder if they're challenging each other. I think like, they totally would have been. Could bring on. Yeah, probably. Dare you to bring on nunchucks. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> He's like sneaking in a pair of nunchucks. Up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> Rectal insertion. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing that voice. It doesn't even sound like <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's your Indian voice. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> your Hebrew voice sounds closer. <laughs> the civilians on the planes, they did the best they could. And here comes this age-old question that most people usually fire off about Nazis. Why did they let it happen? Because, you know, if I was on that plane, man, if that was me on that fucking plane, I would have fucking rugby tackled them. It never would have crashed, man. And I would have saved the day. <laughs> Well, the answer is with the Nazis, uh, they were overwhelming. So they're not only going to arrest you, they're going to arrest your cousin. They're going to arrest your cousin's best mate, Gary. They're going to arrest Gary's neighbors. And their intense bureaucratic search and destroy mission was endless. The Nazis were going to get you. Those on Flight 93, they have left the biggest evidence of what the final moments were like as they were actually the last to die. And it was a nonstop flight from Newark, New Jersey to San Francisco. And this is a perfect target for the hijackers. It's a Boeing 757, full fuel tanks, seven crew members with a capacity for 182 passengers. So they targeted domestic flights that would have the least amount of passengers who would put up the least amount of resistance. But if you think it's about clever. this, but if you think about the numbers, though, I mean, obviously everyone was scared shitless, so they weren't going to like put up some kind of attack. But 182... Against what, five? Yeah, but they did barricade themselves in the cockpit. So, would you be able to overpower that? 
it, well, I think to begin with, you're just like, you're like, what the fuck is going on? And then as they're telling you to get to the back of the plane and they're pulling the pilots out, you just would do it. Well, I think one of the things they did is, from what I've heard, if anyone did kind of protest, they'd pick up one person, just cut the shit out of them. Yeah. Like cut the, cut, you know, rip them to pieces and then just kind of hold me like, this is going to happen to you. So everyone's kind of paralyzed with fear. I think now, knowing that this happened, that that would never be the case. Well, nowadays you can't even, no one can access the cockpit anymore. Yeah, you can't so. even get inside it. Once the uh, pilots are in there, it's locked completely. And that was because of 9-11. And it feels like they should have done that a long time ago. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if like uh, stewardesses must have the key. What if no, one, nobody has access. What if it's like an airplane situation? They ate the chicken, uh, they had <laughs> diarrhea or something. Well, um, nowadays most of the planes fly on autopilot, don't they? And the uh, pilots are just there to kind of guide it. It's not like you how mean, it that, used like, to be. That blow up pilot that blow comes up out. Well. <laughs> oh, but no, I mean, I would be a little. Someone should have a key. I think I'm not sure how they do it, but the, there's now becoming this big wave of people are paranoid about um, pilots who suicide because that's happened. Yeah, that's happened. Yeah, and it is yeah. happening more now. Um, anyways, the three other planes, uh, other planes, they all departed on time, but flight 93 was delayed by 25 minutes due to the usual typical heavy morning traffic. Just four minutes after the flight departed, hijacked flight 11 uh, struck the north tower of the World Trade Center followed by the second hijacked plane, Flight 175, at 9.03, which hit the South Tower. At 9.37 a.m., hijacked Flight 77 crashed into the Pentagon, and at 9.45, the Federal Aviation Administration ordered all aircraft to land at their closest airport with an estimated 4,500 aircrafts landing safely, all except one. Can you guess which one? (laughs) After 46 minutes of routine flying, the terrorists overtook the cockpit and they turned the plane on a southeast course. They forced all the passengers and crew to the back of the plane and they told them to be quiet. So in the back of the plane, using airphones, 13 passengers made 37 calls and they learned all about the attacks that had been taking place on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. The passengers and the crew, they all voted to fight back rather than be part of a suicide mission. And they began ringing friends and family to say goodbye. Yeah, you can actually hear those phone calls on YouTube. They're very, what I found is they're very pragmatic. I think because obviously you're in a, people are in a state of shock and you just kind of go into that very like, you just go emotionless when you're in shock. But the, some, of them, some of them veer between being like really lucid and then too being kind of emotionally um you know upset yeah there's a woman who's just saying like this is the combination to my safe this is what's inside the safe this is what you do when you get inside the safe and this goes to here and it's only at the end when she's like and i love you and i hope i see you all soon that she starts like getting really like choked up up, crying yeah i heard another woman that was like saying goodbye to all of her kids and it was just uh, it's kind of terrible to listen to but i mean in some parts of me, it thinks, wow, you, you've always got that voicemail that you can always listen back to it. But imagine also missing that voicemail. Do you know? Like you could have been yeah. the last person to talk to them, but at the same time, missing that voicemail, it's like six and two freeze. It's horrible. The cockpit voice recorder, it captured the ensuing struggle. So we've, you know, people are shouting, screaming, there's glass breaking. Hoping to stop the uprising, the terrorists began rolling the aircraft from left to right. They're pitching the nose up and down. And in its final moments of flight, it even turned completely upside down. 
before plowing into an empty field at 563 miles per hour, where it completely exploded on impact. The 5,500 gallons of jet fuel, they exploded, created a ball of fire that rose higher than the trees surrounding it, the smoke billowing up like an atom bomb. Because jet fuel really can and does melt steel beams. We're going to get into that. So with Flight 93, though, there are a lot of conspiracy theories regarding that. Um, One of the big ones was that uh, Flight 93 was shot down by a missile. And it disintegrated midair, scattering wreckage over a large area. Who shot it down? The Russians? The government. Why? Well, that's the thing. That, I mean, that's what they're saying, to make it seem like a terrorist attack. Um, and there, So official reports, though, say that there are clear photographs showing aircraft wreckage and the cockpit voice recorder, which show that there had been a passenger revolt and that the hijackers had deliberately crashed a plane. I mean, this is proven. Um, initial theories that uh, heavy debris were scattered many miles from the main crash turned out to be completely false. In yeah. fact, wind had blown light debris, which is paper and insulation just over a mile, but the majority of the debris was where the plane crashed. Uh, there's another theory that was based on a misquote from the local coroner, Wally Miller, Wally. who said he stopped being a coroner after about 20 minutes because there were no bodies. Uh, what he also said was that he quickly realized it was a plane crash and that there would have to be a large funeral service for the many victims. Um, the other big thing is that the military stood down. So, so they say that the military never gave orders to the Air Force to shoot that commercial airliner down. Yeah. So why would they? Well, they said uh, people say um, former Vice President Dick Cheney ordered the military not to respond or attack or engage these hijacked planes. Well, he was saying that because this was all part of the plan. <laughs> um, but in fact, uh, there was actually some, there was confusion between the military and commercial air control because no one really knew what was going on. And Cheney himself did order the airliners to be shot down. If, if the White House was, if someone's going to fly into the White House, you need to shoot this plane down, especially after the two towers had already been attacked. Oh, yeah. But I mean, this is still over Pennsylvania. So I highly doubt they think. Where's this plane going? Because they don't actually know the intended target, really. Yeah, I don't understand. Where was Flight 93 going? Well, so I've read some things where they say it was like uh, an aviation something, something or over in Washington. But I think everyone just assumes it was going to be the White I mean, come on. It's got to be the White House, hasn't it? I mean, it's the biggest target. You're yeah. going to do the White House, the Pentagon and World Trade Center in one day. That's like pretty fucking impressive. Yeah, that would that would have been. I I would say that was the primary target. But didn't did people also say like Disney World was the target? Oh, Disney World would also be cool as fuck as well. <laughs> if you did all the Disney Worlds around the world at the same time, that would be amazing. It'd be quite a statement. It would. One of the most persistent theories is that neither of the two planes could have felled the mighty twin towers. Only explosives that has been strategically placed could have brought them down. So S. Uh, Shyam Sunder, he led the Federal Building and Fire Safety Investigation of the World Trade Center disaster in the aftermath of the terrorist attack. And he's the lead investigator. Actually, at the time, he was the lead investigator. Now he's the director for the National Institute, Institute of Standards and Technology called NIST. NIST. I like, I work for a NIST. <laughs> and that's the government agency that investigated the collapse A full investigation team consisted of more than 200 people from scientists and engineers and industry and academia. They're not just some losers posting a blog on QAnon. They use physics-based computer uh, simulations, which are actually the first of their kind as well and are still in use today. 
with all the available evidence, taking into account the multiple impacts of the airplane, the debris, the multi-floor fires that were ignited by jet fuel or the flying debris, the heat-related weakening of structural components because the fire reached over 1,000 degrees Celsius in some areas. They conducted uh, large fire experiments which validated the computer simulations. The evidence they used to validate the simulations included 236 major structural components, 7,000 video segments, more than 7,000 photographs, emergency responder communications, published accounts of evacuation from 400 survivors, and a collection of design, construction, maintenance, and inspection documents for other free buildings. We're going to talk about Seven World Trade Center in a bit. So that's like a lot. (laughs) No, I mean, that's very thorough. (laughs) Fuck Yeah. They interviewed more than a thousand survivors, 116 emergency responders, and in the end, they released 47 reports from the investigation, more than 11,000 pages about how the buildings collapsed following the impact of the aircrafts and not from crafty explosives. Basically, the heat from the uncontrolled fires called steel fall beams and girders to firmly expand, leading to chain of events that caused key structural columns to fall. The way the plane smashed into the towers kind of created a conduit for burning jet fuel, which traveled down the elevator shafts, causing extensive damage to the lobby and setting fire to everything that it touched, including lots of people. You know, there was a guy, this was a couple of years ago, that was going to... I think it was kind of a publicity stunt, but he was going to recreate the same situation with the towers to prove. I remember this. Yeah, the, the, to prove that uh, a plane couldn't take the tower down. And so I tried, I was so close to getting an interview with that guy. <sighs> that he'd be amazing to Oh my God, it would have been great. But uh, last minute he was like, I don't know if I should be on a show called Sick and Wrong. Dick. Yeah, which, which happens. But, but yeah, so an extensive inquiry by the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, uh, concluded that the plane severed and damaged the support columns, and that's what dislodged the fireproofing. So 10,000 gallons of the jet fuel uh, spread the fires, and those temperatures, 1,000 degrees Celsius, it's insane. That's what caused the floors to sag and the perimeter columns to bend, causing the sounds of the explosions. Yeah. So the massive weight of the floors dropped, creating that dynamic load in, the, in far excess of what the columns were designed dynamic for. Load. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> dynamic load. load. <laughs> uh, debris was forced out of the windows as the floors above collapsed. So that's the thing, this, this theory, the demolition theory. Controlled demolition is always from the bottom floors up, not from the top, which is where, how this collapse happened. And so no evidence has been found at all of any explosive charges, despite... The extensive hand searches, there's no evidence of any pre-cutting of columns or walls, which is carried out in a controlled demolition. Yeah, but that doesn't matter when you believe, man. In the amazing French documentary uh, 9-11, which is probably one of the biggest examples of like right place, right, right time or wrong place, wrong time, depending on how you look at it. It's filmed by Jules and Gideon Nader. Uh, When Jules first enters the North Tower lobby with the firemen, he saw victims on fire, but he didn't film them because he described it as horrific. So it was was funny how they... Have you ever seen this documentary? It's the best 9-11 documentary. It's so fucking good. But they were just making a documentary about the firemen of New York on 9-11. Oh, on the day of... I have heard of this, actually. So, you know, the Nicolas Cage film I was saying that I like, World Trade Center, you see him, you see the fire chief, like, before he goes down, and you see, like, loads of the F... Loads of the firemen who die. But they're so lucky because they're there as the towers collapse. 
as the first tower collapsed there in the lobby. Wow. It's a, an amazing documentary. It's a heavy watch, but I highly recommend it. I have never seen melted steel in a building fire, said retired New York Deputy Fire Chief Vincent Dunn, author of The Collapse of Burning Buildings, A Guide to Fireground Safety. But I've seen a lot of twisted, warped, bent and sagging steel. What happens is that the steel tries to expand at both ends, but when it can no longer expand, it sags and the surrounding concrete cracks. Steel loses about 50%, not John Steel, steel loses <laughs> about 50% of its strength at temperatures of like 1,100 degrees Fahrenheit. And jet fuel isn't the only thing burning. Everything inside the buildings was combustible, including the people trapped inside. Seven World Trade Center also collapsed because of intense and uncontrolled fires. The 47-story tower was on fire for nearly seven hours before it collapsed. And it's actually the first tower of its kind to collapse because of a fire. But in 2017, the Plasco Tower in Tehran became the second. And the reason nobody was going there to put out the fucking fires is because all the firemen are pretty much dead. They're in World Trade Center. Well, how many firemen were in the World Trade Center at the time? A lot. Three, well, 300 of them died, 350, oh. which is like gone. And then they're worried about trying to get the survivors out of World Trade Center. They're not worried about this building on fire. Yeah, I mean, you would have left it at that point. So we can use facts and evidence to explain against the two major conspiracy theories, but how do we explain that no Jewish people were killed in the attacks because 4,000 Jewish employees at the World Trade Center had received advance notice not to turn up for work that day? Hmm. <laughs> Maybe Larry Silverstein, head of the company that had recently taken out a lease on the World Trade Center, had plotted to destroy the towers because the greedy Jew wanted to cash in on the shekels to obtain millions of dollars in insurance money. And this is the first conspiracy theory I remember. That's my favorite uh, Larry conspiracy theories, Larry Silverstein. Maybe Larry is just the front man for the powerful and mysterious Jewish elites who control the world events from their shadows. Or maybe he's just an agent of Mossad. Of the 2,071 victims of 9-11 who worked at the World Trade Center, 119 were Jewish and at least 72 others were Jew-ish. Like you're Jew-ish. Maybe their memos were lost in the mail that day. But this actually constituted 2% of the victims, which falls in line with 9.7% of New York's uh, commuting population who were Jewish in 2001. So the numbers add up. Other estimates are about 400 Jewish people dying that day. Any event that anti-Semites can voice their opinion on Jews will always end with the Jews being the enemy, even when Al-Qaeda owned up and said they're the ones who had organized <laughs> the attacks and they're the ones who had committed an act of revolutionary suicide. Blaming the Jews for everything is frankly boring, Oscar, and I'm very bored of it. You blame Jews for everything. Well, this Jew. <laughs> I'm joking. I don't blame you I'm for joking. Um, but yeah, the whole something. Jewish ownership of the World Trade okay. Center theory is hilarious, especially with, with Larry Silverstein. Like this guy, like this guy, who's so rich anyway, would need the insurance money from these two towers. I mean, how much money do you have to have to, to take a lease out on the World Trade Center complex? Complex, not just one building. He's got like all three. Yeah. Or how many were there, three or four? Uh, was there five? I'm not sure. Who knows? But anyway, the World Trade Center complex, this guy took out a lease on it. He's got enough money, Nazis, white supremacists. <laughs> he doesn't need to you know, kill 5,000 people or 3,000 people to make more money. 
But the whole implication is that Jews had inside knowledge of the complex. So that helped them to get Mossad to execute the plan because Mossad was the ones who were like cutting the columns and putting the demolitions because that's how it worked. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. It's that whole thing of the the greedy Jew and the anti-Semitic trope of Jewish lightning. Yeah. We start the fires. Um, Did you ever hear the Israeli art student spy ring theory? No. That's another great one. This theory uh, received a lot of attention in far-right publications and the Arab press, because that's the thing. That's one thing that unites the white supremacists and the Arabs, is their hatred. Yeah, their hatred of Jews. Um, But it claims that there was an Israeli spy ring that was made up of young Israelis who were art students that had been in the U.S., and they had been tracking the 9-11 hijackers, but did nothing to stop the attack. I would just like to point out there is there are forgotten victims of 9-11 that nobody ever talks about. So in the lobby of one of the towers, there was an art gallery. And in there was a Niagara Detroit painting yeah, that had I, never had you, prints you taken off before. it. It was an original. And she only has a really grainy picture of it. So that is a forgotten victim of the art. <laughs> 9-11, Dave. yeah. The art. <laughs> Um, this is a this is a pretty fascinating theory too, uh, which has definitely been debunked. Although there are a lot of people that still believe it. Judy Wood, she's a she's a, a doctor who's an American material scientist. She believes that the World Trade Center towers were destroyed by a directed energy weapon. Lasers. Not a laser. Okay. It's kind of like a, I guess somewhat of a laser. It was like it directs energy and and it dustified the buildings. Right. So dustification involves molecular dissociation and transmutation. So I guess it's kind of a laser, in a sense, directed energy. But this woman, I mean, she's not a complete whack job. She's not like Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, she actually has a doctorate in materials engineering science um, from Virginia Polytechnic. Uh, she worked at a, a state university in Blacksburg, Virginia. She had a dissertation on thermal stresses and biomaterial bi- joints. She's a smart lady, put it that way. A little wacky, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, her observation of the destruction of the World Trade Center led to her conviction that towers didn't collapse, but they were dustified. And she did a whole series of lectures and appearances. I mean, you can actually go to her website, uh, Dr. Judy Wood. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's actually drjudywood.com. But then she has like a whole list of her, her theories. And she's maintained that the debris pile was nowhere near tall enough to account for the aggregate mass of the towers and their contents. So she, she claims that the towers were pulverized in midair and simply blew away in the breeze. She does know that it, it went underground. She doesn't know that, right? She doesn't know that the pile went underground. Te- like an iceberg. She knows that, right? Doesn't she? She knows that. I mean, I think uh, she has her theory. She, she claims there's not Justified as much Justified is not a fucking word, Judy. She, well, she says the prim- principal evidence that must be explained includes... The upper 80% of the building um, was turned to fine dust and did not crash the earth. And the seismic impact was minimal, far too small based on comparison with a, with a controlled demolition of like an actual building. Has she done tests on this? Is this just her like smoking some weed in Virginia? Oh, I think this is <laughs> her theory. She must have like some scientific moonshine. theories. I mean, obviously she's, you know, she's a scientist. She declines to speculate though about the exact nature of the weapon involved, where it was situated or who was operating it. I mean, this is almost like a Lex Luthor type villain. <laughs> yeah. um, her position is that she's a scientist and her role is to determine what happened that day. Others might or might not address those more political questions. 
that come about, but she's all about the science. So I, apparently on uh, January 10th, 2007, which you can actually find this one, this interview also is on YouTube. Um, Dr. Wood was interviewed on a video by Dr. Greg Jenkins, who's a physicist who is unconvinced completely by Dr. Wood's theory of dustification. But people have watched this and opinions bilateral. Some people claim that Greg Jenkins completely debunked her, her theories, but other, other people claim that no, Dr. Wood prevailed. She didn't. And the buildings were dusted. <laughs> by Jews, probably. <laughs> I'm sure. With a laser. Our Jewish Jewish people love lasers. Uh, Richard Hofstadter kind of said, any warfare historian out there will tell you that it's in part a comedy of errors and a museum of incompetence. But if for every error and every, error and every act of incompetence, there are many points of interpretation that are open to the paranoid imagination. And there's a lot of paranoid people in America. I would say uh, maybe majority. Yeah, I'll go for that. More than a quarter of the American population believes that there are conspiracies behind many things in the world, according to a 27 analysis of government survey survey data by University of Oxford and University of Liverpool researchers. New research suggests that events happening worldwide are nurturing underlying emotions that make people more willing to believe in conspiracies. A conspiracy theory can provide comfort by identifying a convenient scapegoat and thereby making the world seem more straightforward and controllable. Well, I think part of it is they don't want to take the effort to actually really research well, what the, happened. Well, the truth is always scarier. So I think a, I think a conspiracy theory kind of cushions you. It's kind of like a hug. But I think it's just like, if you would adopt that veil of ignorance, I think it's just easier to explain something. It's like Occam's razor. It's like it's a shorter way to get there. Yeah. So it's just easy to believe some kind of conspiracy theory that you read on QAnon rather than actually doing the research to kind of to, to, to find out what happened, what really happened. So Stephen Lewandowski, he's a cognitive scientist. He conducted a 10-year study on denialism, uh, mainly around climate change. But his research paper says that people can assume that if these bad guys weren't there, then everything would be fine. Whereas if you don't believe in a conspiracy theory, then you just have to say that terrible things happen randomly. It's like me. They just can't accept the truth. Well, it's kind of like religion. Yeah. The same way. It you is, know. yeah. It, it's I I feel it's cognitive dissonance. I mean, you just in order to believe in religion or conspiracy theories because you know it's difference. bullshit. Yeah. Basically, those who believe in conspiracy theories are kind of stupid because they can't engage in analytical thinking. Well, are they stupid or are they lazy? St- well, stupid usually because you can't. You can t- You have to train yourself to. To think analytically. Yeah, I just don't. I just think it's easier for them to scroll well, yeah, theories on Instagram than read an actual fucking book. Yeah, no, that's also true. So maybe, maybe they are stupid. So Karen Murphy, she, she's an educational phys, uh, physiologist at Pennsylvania State University. She, she suggests that individuals who want to improve their analytical thinking skills should ask three key questions when interpreting uh, conspiracy claims. One, what is your evidence? Two, what is your source for the evidence? And three, what is the reasoning that links your evidence back to the claim? Sources of evidence need to be accurate, credible, and relevant, and not QAnon, or on that website. (laughs) Some conspiracy theories are harmless. It doesn't really matter, right, if someone believes we never landed on the moon. It doesn't really matter if Nessie is real, or that because me, Harrison, and Wackley have all never been in the same room at the same time, that we're the same person. That doesn't matter. But 9-11 conspiracy theories are not only harmless, they take the blame away from the real perpetrators and they piss on the memory of those that died. They just piss on them. 
Well, I think part of the thing is that conspiracy theories are sort of crucial for a demagogue. For someone who's like, you know, when you have people that are paranoid and panicked and scared of, you know, the other, of people trying to immigrate into this country, yes. it's, you make these conspiracy theories because people are too dense to read, too dim to try to do their own research. So they'll listen to someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who needs these people to be in fear so they'll vote for her. Yeah. You know, Trump, Trump needs that. He needs people to believe these whacked out inane theories because he's the one that's going to save them from the immigrants that are coming in here to rape your wives and your children. But recently, Republican candidate, uh, who I mentioned before, and Trump lick spittle Vivek Ramaswamy, um, who probably will be his vice president if he ends up uh, uh, getting nominated. He was uh, interviewed, and he, he was interviewed on the Atl- at the Atlantic Magazine, and he came out with just completely whacked out 9-11 conspiracy theory. Okay. In this recent interview. Listen to this. I think it is legitimate to say how many police, how many federal agents were on the planes that hit the Twin Towers. Like, I think we want it. Maybe the answer is zero. Probably a zero for all I know, right? So there you go. I mean, this is, this is recent. Here you have a guy... Who's currently running for office? For office as a Republican, um, you know, in the, in the next election, saying like, how many federal agents were on those planes? Like he's bringing up this conspiracy theory. Wow! So he was being interviewed about January six because he thinks January six are the conspiracy. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and so he's saying if we're doing a comprehensive assessment, you know, of what happened on nine eleven because we had a nine eleven commission then maybe we should do the same thing with January 6th, get a January 6th commission because there's questions that should get the bottom of what really happened. Were there people who were actually armed? Because there are a lot of people that were unarmed that I saw. What percentage of the people at January 6th were armed You know, were, were federal law enforcement officers? I'm sure it was high. And so this person kept bringing up when they're interviewing, like, okay, well, you've, what, what's your theory on 9-11? He kept, saying, he kept ignoring. He's like, You're, they're blowing this out of proportion. That's not what I said. But that, So the Atlantic actually put out the audio of the interview awesome. with a reporter that showed that is what you said. I mean, here he is perpetuating 9-11 conspiracy theories, a candidate. It's incredible, isn't it? It's, it is incredible. But that's why I'm not surprised why they proliferate. So... To go against what he said, we do have some facts and theories here as we uh, crash to the end of this show. (laughs) On September the 11th, terrorists committed an act of war, the greatest of which our modern world has never seen before. The terrorists killed not only to end lives, but also to end a way of life. More than 3,000 people from 80 different nations died or have remained missing since the attacks. 343 firefighters and paramedics just doing their job. They died whilst at work, which is my worst nightmare. 23 police officers and 37 Port Authority police officers died just doing their job. Around 2,000 children lost a parent in the World Trade Center. 146 children lost a parent in the Pentagon attacks. One business alone lost more than 700 employees, leaving at least 50 pregnant widows behind. And... People are still dying of after effects from that day. Weird cancers killing those that were unlucky enough to be caught up in the rubble and ruins, but lucky enough to survive at any cost. And I said it last show, and I'm just going to say it again. Don't believe everything you read, and don't believe anything you read on QAnon. (laughs) Stop it, people. Let's just end these horrible conspiracy theories. They're so boring. I mean... I actually don't mind that conspiracy theories exist. What I do mind is when people tout them as fact. 
Right. And it's then dangerous. you have to have, but, and then you have to get into this like conversation with somebody who's completely insane. Yeah. You know, there's no way you're going to make sense. I don't even want to convince them that that they're completely insane, but I want them to to think that there are, there are many more explanations of what happened here. You know, but scientists and people who, you know, are trained to, you know, to investigate such matters I'm going to believe the educated opinion of those people versus an idiot who wrote something online. You know, a tinfoil hat wearing, you know, 40 year old virgin that's living in his mother's trailer. Like, I'm not going to believe that guy over a PhD, you know, scientist who works at Rutgers. Like, I'm going to believe that guy doing the investigation, you know, but the fact of the matter is I'm going to read both. I'm going to read the conspiracy theory, but I'm also going to read, you know, an educated article or journal entry on this because I want to know. I want to know that I want to know and I'm going to make I'm going to make a critical analysis of what happened and come to a conclusion rather than believing the first thing I I, I see on Twitter. And I think that's the problem. People, this is episode uh, 911 here of Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next, 323-522-4032. But first, here's a quick message from Adam and Eve. Hello, America. This is Barack Obama. Now that I'm not endorsing that white honky Joe Biden for president, I can talk to you about adamandeve.com. It's a great website for all of your sexual needs. I went over to their store and purchased a butt plug for myself and a 17-inch dildo for Michelle. So now, I can fuck Michelle like I fucked the United States of America. Only this time, it'll be a little bit less expensive. I was fortunate enough to use the coupon code DIDDLE, that's D-I-D-D-L-E, at checkout, and I saved some money. Which helps now that I'm back on welfare. So head over to adamandeve.com and grab yourself an Obama-endorsed sex toy. Thanks to the Second Wrong Podcast. Good night, America, and good luck. Okay, Rambo, we got a couple of phone calls here. The first one is actually something I did want to address, and I do kind of want to apologize, but at the same time, it's, it's always kind of this quandary that occurs when you release an episode that sounds like dog shit. So yeah. the past couple of weeks, as most people who you know listen to this podcast for a long time would know, I've been in England with uh, Kate helping her move. And, you know, and it was, we had to do a lot of fucking work. I mean, we had to pack up our whole house, get rid of all of her shit, clean the whole place. And in the midst of that, we still were able to do four episodes, you know, two, two episodes of the main show and then two episodes of the second show. And so it's difficult to do it when you do it remote because I don't have my own equipment. And so here... You know, I have my own setup that I'm used to. I know it sounds good. It's tested, tried, you know, and, and even when we record remotely, when you're on Zoom, I'm still editing it in-house. So it's like, I know what I'm doing. There, I got to do, use, re, you know, a remote setup. So I had to use like a remote focus right, and we had to bring different microphones and hook stuff yeah. up. So it's difficult to know exactly how that will sound. And we even would go back and like listen to it and it would sound fine. And then... When we recorded it, they didn't sound fine. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's if it's the cables you had over there, if Possibly. it's your focus right, or Possibly. if it's maybe the power that you have. I, I'm not quite sure. Could maybe, be what maybe we were recording on. I, I don't know what it was, but it was weird because the second show didn't sound that bad. And then the, the I think it was episode, must have been 909, um, 
we recorded the whole thing. We did like probably three or four tests, you know, sounded okay. Recorded the whole thing. And there was this like weird clicking noise. And, and maybe it was, you know, maybe it was a Jack version of Audition because we don't, you know, I think I, I downloaded an illegal copy of Audition. Hey, don't let people know about myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might, might have been that on your, on your machine. Well, it's expensive to pay for it. Okay, and, I you know, paying for it. <laughs> um, you know, we made a money here. But anyway, so we tested everything and it came out and it sounded like shit. And so I was like, fuck. You it know. was very stressful. Well, it was stressful, too, because, you know, we don't have time to re-record this whole episode. I also, you know, don't have much faith in your equipment to re-record a full episode. So then I was thinking, like, maybe I shouldn't put this out. But then I ended up, you know, spending a few hours trying to make it sound better and eliminate the clicking and the popping sounds the best I could. But, uh, yeah, it didn't sound it didn't sound up to par to what I'm usually you know, putting out. So instead of not putting out a show for two weeks, I opted to put out a show and you got what you got. It, you know, what kind of sucks about it is like the subject matter of both our shows are actually kind of cool. Like the Lucy Leppi show was great. I thought it sounds fine. Um, I haven't tried it on my inner ears, but when you just listen to it for your phone, like, cause that's like, if I'm cleaning around the house, I'll, that's how I listen to podcasts a lot. I'll just like throw on a podcast and listen to it with my phone halfway across the room. And that sounds fine to me, but like, yeah, maybe this guy had in inner ear on and it would probably be annoying. But. Yeah. I mean, I put it on my car and it sounded fine, but yeah, you could hear it if you listen to it with decent headphones. So anyway, this guy, um, decides to come in and voice his opinion. <laughs> it, it does kind of blow my mind though, that sure. It sounds like shit, but would you actually take the time to call a podcast and be like, your podcast sounds like shit. I probably would just not listen to it. And he didn't just call. Yeah, he emailed as well. This, this, this guy's that degree of asshole. In fact, he's beyond asshole. He's a cunt. <laughs> You're a cunt. Uh, yeah. Hi, I'm a brand new listener. I figured I'd start off the top with episode 910. And your podcast sounds like shit. <laughs> like, what's with that crackling and bubbling in the background? Bubbling. <laughs> Uh, that that part of your gig? Is that part of your shtick? Is that your gig? To have bubbling in the background? <laughs> yes, Aaron, it actually is. <laughs> yeah, we we intentionally want bubbling, whatever that is. I, I'm not quite sure what bubbling is. But yeah, we want bubbling in the background. And I don't know if he felt like he hadn't got his anger out with this phone call, but then he did send an email. Aaron sent an email where he called me a whining cunt because <laughs> I was complaining about moving. Yeah. Well, Aaron, you've obviously ne- never met a woman ever in your life. Well, he's met his mom. She, well, I bet well, she complains. I checked out a couple episodes, same, same shitty production. So, I don't know. Have a, have a good career. <laughs> kind of sounds like Boner Villain, actually. Um, but Boner you, Villain's you, nicer. It's funny to me, you know, it does kind of suck that if you're a brand new listener and you listen to the last two episodes, they sound like Sorry. dog shit. So it's, you know, I apologize for that. 
Uh, usually the show doesn't sound like dog shit, and I urge you to go back and listen to other episodes, or fuck off and don't listen to the podcast. I couldn't care less. Yeah, if I listen to a podcast and I like, I don't like it, I always do the first thing where it's like I give up every podcast five minutes. I don't even like. I have a longer attention span for podcasts than I do for a lot of other things. I give it five minutes. In five minutes, I'm not like, wow. Then guess what? I just move the fuck on with my life. I don't like Aaron. I don't do what Aaron did. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine actually emailing them to to say, "Hey, your podcast sounds like shit." You're a cunt. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know about the whining cunt remark, but it's like I I couldn't imagine going to that distance. I'm also not somebody though that goes and bitches and whines about people on Yelp either. Which no. this guy probably would do that. I'm oh, assuming. he has major Yelp whiner energy. I, you know, I also feel like this is the type of guy that makes comments on like. Pornhub and OnlyFans like criticizing them. Yeah, yeah, and on Reddit and stuff like that. He's that type of person. Yeah, no, this and and you know you can't please everybody. You know I fully get that. You know my theory's always been you know shove it up a flagpole, see who salutes it. Some people will, some people won't. That's such an old man phrase. Some people bitch. You know, and that's just the that's just the way it works. Yeah, I got that from Lemmy actually in Decline of Western Civ. Well, that's why it's so old, man. Because Lemmy's old. <laughs> I know, old. but I've always been inspired by that, and that's always been kind of been my motto. It's like fucking to put it up there and see who likes it. You know, somebody will, some people won't. My favorite thing that Lemmy says is when they go, "Aren't you worried that everyone's going to steal from you?" And he was like, "No, because maybe they'll do something and I can steal it from them." <laughs> Punk as fuck. But it 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 is it does take a certain type of individual who actually has to email the podcast and be like, "You sound like shit," you know. So it's like, do I care if you listen? Not at all. But I do care when uh when um you know these two episodes are you know below the standard of quality that that I that I put out. And I did. I remember I was vexed. I was vexed over it. Like I was definitely. You like, did a very good. Edi- you did a very good job editing, David. I don't even. No, I don't think I did because it does sound like shit. But you I, saved it. But no, I don't think I did. I think it sounds like shit. But it comes to that whole decision: Do we just not put it out and skip it, skip a couple weeks, or do we put something out that you know? I, I thought the subject matter is good. I thought it was a good show. You know, other than the audio quality, which. Didn't have much control of over when I was in England. Have you put out worse sounding shows? You know, the early shows sound like dog shit. There you go. But it was the same kind of deal. Like we didn't have, you know, that much experience doing it. It just sucks now that I've been doing it for fucking 20 fucking years or whatever. And I put out a show that sounds like that. But there's only us. We don't have a team of like executive producers and we're not in a professional studio either. It is just us doing it. And, you know, shit happens. Shit well, happens. I think it's because we're recording remotely. And that as well. Yeah, and that's not going to happen thing. anymore. Yeah. So hopefully it sounds better in the future. Um, and that guy can go eat a dick. Eat a dick, Aaron. <laughs> All right. Next one we have here is uh, is about uh, buying the archives. Hey, sick and wrong. This is Kyle, uh, old time listener. I was on an intro from episode i don't know 98 is my thought for some reason it'd be awesome if you could ever uh hit me up so i could hear that again 
phone number is 585. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put out Kyle. your phone number, Kyle. <laughs> Wait, firstly, how would we know what Kyle would sound like in the intros? to the? Does he go, my name is Kyle, in the old intros? Well, no, it just says, he says it was episode 98. So He says that's what he thinks. So I know there are people like um, Atheist Preacher and Tim Ted who listen to the archives a lot. So if they recognize Kyle's voice and know him... Put, tell it on the Discord, but don't tell Kyle. <laughs> don't well, tell him. You know, Kyle, you could just go and buy the archives either from the website or, you know, go on, uh, you know, go on um, Patreon. You can get it from there on SoundCloud. But in fact, I think you could almost search for that episode. You might be able to find it online anyway. I think some are uploaded, aren't they, somewhere on YouTube or something? You know, some. or Podcast Alley or some, there's. It's funny, like as much as you know, I'm Jew, I'm a Jew and I want to make profit off of my uh, off of my my archives. Oh, are you going to blow up the World Trade Center to get your insurance money? I was thinking about that, my podcast money. But no, you know, I mean, there's no way I can scrub the internet of every episode. So if you really wanted to and you didn't want to buy the archives, you probably could search for that episode, Sick and Wrong Episode 98, you might be able to find it. What's 585 area code? Where's that? I think it's Colorado. Oh my God, Kyle in Colorado. I really I want to go so. to Colorado. I think it's Colorado. Don't, don't quote me on that. But anyway, Kyle, you should be able to find it or you could just go by, it's probably year two. And it would be uh, it would be on there, but I wonder. I don't know. I mean, I don't remember what 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 the intro was for episode ninety eight, and it's a long time ago. Um, but yeah, it is funny when I so Kate, who has not listened to the archives, <laughs> I will and refuses to listen to the archives. I don't not refuse. I will. Yeah, lis- has listened to From the Ville what four times in a row? I've listened to some up. Ep- oh God, the one where they interviewed Dougie. I've probably listened to the Dougie episode at least ten times. But you've listened to all the entire catalog of From the Ville probably four times. Probably about four times. But it hasn't yeah. listened to a single archived episode of Sick and Wrong. Anyway, <laughs> Kate I- Rambo. <laughs> Um, usually tells me that on the Discord you got Atheist Preacher and uh, the Swede, a couple other people. I've been listening to the, the always like post funny like either quotes from me or uh, comments about all the different episodes. Which yeah. you do seem engaged and interested in that. Oh, I think it's hilarious. But yet yeah, you don't want to go listen to the episodes. I will listen to the episodes at some point. <laughs> I wouldn't listen either, believe me. I will. <laughs> no, it is funny, though, because I've been in the process of trying to upload them all to Apple Podcasts. Right now, I'm in year six. That's so when I'm going to listen to them. I'm like year six or year seven. But I'm in the process of kind of uploading them all. And I've been listening to like, you know, because I kind of have to do some QA on it just to make sure it recorded up properly. But there, there are times when I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe we even said that. Like, I can't believe we even said that. Or other times I'm like, holy shit. Did we interview, uh, we interviewed Mary Roach? Like, when did we do that? Like, it is funny because it's been so long. You, like, you forget a lot of these things. It's kind of like a time capsule for you. It is. It is a time, well, it's a time capsule anyway because it's like that period of history. Because we talk a lot about, you know, like the news and and our Apple cell TVs. phones at the time and, and things like that. So, yeah, it is kind of fascinating in that respect. But it is funny because I'll catch myself sometimes like wackily. God, that guy was funny. So off the cuff. Yeah, no, I love hanging out with him, but he was so off the cuff funny for somebody who had no radio experience. Like Harrison, you know, I did radio before and Harrison did radio for a long time. And Harrison also, like, you know, there are times when he was on, he was hilarious. Yeah. Um, But I mean, we both kind of had experience going into it. Whereas Wackily had never done radio. 
ever. And there were some times when he was just, it, it, he would just say some of the most hilarious things. Anyway, I'm not trying to promote the, uh, the archives. Go buy them if you want. But you probably could do a search for Sick and Wrong episode 98, Kyle, and find it. Um, finally, here's a guy who does appreciate us, even when we put out dog shit sounding shows. Aww. Twisted Firestarter, king of the incels. This is the Twisted Firestarter speaking. King of the incels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, as you said, um, I've tried Good to take to away king. the involuntary part now, and I'm just making it my choice. As Tyrion Lannister said, you need to wear your weakness as armor, and then no one can hurt you with it. Um, and I just, as I was saying to you, Dee and Camden, I just can't be fucked anymore. I don't think it's worth the effort. And the story I'm about to tell you should go a little way towards illustrating why. It was funny. So this was, when we were in Camden, Twisted Firestarter came out. We were all hanging out. We were really drunk at this point. I was fucking wasted because I don't know how many drinks that Russian bought me. And you'd also flown that day. You'd flown in. Yeah, I, I only had like three hours of sleep. And... uh and the blow was kind of wearing off, but that was keeping me going. Anyway, uh, thanks to you know who. Um, anyway, we're uh, we're left the world's end at that point. I think the world's end was done, right? Were they closed? Yeah, we went to Underworld. We went to the bar underneath Underworld, and we're sitting there really drunk. And he's sitting here explaining to me why he's a voluntary celibate now. Yeah, that's a visa. A V cell is that the new terminology? Okay. I just made that up, but he's a V cell. He's now. a V cell. <laughs> so, a few years back, um, when I was still, I was kind of, I didn't care anymore, but I was still going through the motions. And I'd been out on like a Friday night, and it was now Saturday, sort of midday. I'd gotten really drunk, and I couldn't remember anything about the night before. And I got a text from someone saying, "Oh, hey, Tom, it's Sarah." Um, you gave me your, your number last night. So I'm like, oh, ding dong. Who's Sarah? I don't remember you. Uh, ding dong. <laughs> so we, we start texting a little bit. And oh God, you can imagine the images I was having in my mind. I mean, she, she was a supermodel. I mean, obviously. And she was going to be like the nicest, funniest, most interesting, intelligent girl in the world. And of course, she was going to fall head over heels with me as soon as she met me. Well, there you dude, go, dude. Come on. Dude, she's texting you. The next day. I wouldn't think she's a supermodel. <laughs> but I mean, he's already setting himself up for failure, isn't he? By being like, she's all these things and he doesn't even know her. This is the problem. I, I would say that, but I mean, I would just think an attractive girl probably wouldn't be texting me the next day. We talk, I've texted plenty of blo- blokes the next day. Before they number. message you? Yeah. Doesn't typically at work like that. If I feel... I'm I'm like a like I'm like a You're an all, anomaly, I'm an though. all or nothing type chick though. If I fancy you, I will fucking tell you I fancy you. I'm gonna write poems to you. I'll write love letters. I'll build a shrine. And the minute that you don't reciprocate that back, I'm fucking away. But most uh, most attractive women would not do that. Most attractive women. No, you don't want people who play wait. fucking games. It's ridiculous. No, but I think you what like would someone, happen, you just fucking message them and I, be like, "Hey, how's it going?" I agree with you wholeheartedly, but I think typically what happens is the dude Did. usually messages the girl the next day and is like, "Oh, hey, I had a good time. You want to go grab dinner sometime or hang out again?" And that's what initiates all that. Oh, no, if I said I was going to text the next day, I've definitely always text them and been like, it was great meeting you last night. When when are you free next? I'm just thinking the girl that, that I don't even remember talking to 
that text me the next day, especially after maybe I'm being like completely fucking smashed, saying bullshit, you know, at, at the bar. I couldn't imagine that girl is texting me the next day being very attractive. And that, that well, comes, that comes from David. experience. It's <laughs> going through my mind. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm out again tonight uh, or this afternoon or whatever. You, you should come and meet me. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll come and meet you. So I get, get all washed, uh, dressed up smart, you know, um, aftershave, aftershave on the neck, knife in the what pocket. What are you doing, mate? And I uh, walked on down to the pub. <laughs> aftershave on the neck. <laughs> <laughs> he's just going to the pub just wear jeans and a fucking shirt it's a casual event why are you going like it's a five cost dinner some brute by Fabergé this is this is his problem he's setting himself up for failure to begin with well let's see what happens failure. to meet this mystery girl and um, I get to the pub and I send her a text saying oh I'm outside just having a cigarette and a couple of minutes later this girl comes out who she wasn't a supermodel Cost but for, Mark, for me, she was pretty fucking hot. And I was like, fucking yes. She comes up to me, oh, are you Tom? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm Tom. And he's like, oh, hi, I'm Sarah's friend. Sarah's going to be out in a minute. <laughs> so I was like, oh, <laughs> In her okay. wheelchair. And then this fucking troll <laughs> comes waddling out. D, I've sent a photo with this. <laughs> she is the one. The one on the left is who walked out first. The one on the right is who I was actually there to meet. Oh, show me. And she comes up and goes, hey, hey, how's it going? <laughs> I love, me. I love how Susan Boyle is her friend. <laughs> <laughs> show me the picture, dear. I'm dying to see it. Well, I'm have to pull it up. It's, I think it's. He said to my Gmail. I have to find oh, it. But I'm dying to see it. I am I, imagining. I'm, I'm going to post. I will post the picture. <laughs> to do the. Picture. I bet she. I bet she had tits that looked like Cornish pasties. <laughs> <laughs> I, just lo- I just love how Shrek comes out and he's like, ah. <laughs> he's there and fun last night. I'm thinking, oh my God, what the fuck did I do last night? <laughs> and her mate is just laughing. She knows what she's doing. She's done this on purpose. And yeah. I, I'm, I can tell, I can tell why you're hanging out with this girl because with her, you're the pretty one. Anyway, <laughs> she's true. like, right, I'm going to go back inside. Have fun, you two. So she fucks off. And I'm there making small talk with this fucking pig. Uh, and after a couple of minutes, she's like, oh, I'll go get a drink. I'm like, yeah, I'll meet you in there. And I just left. And I, as I was walking... Oh, he just totally ditched her. Yeah, wouldn't you, though? Because you've got no interest. But he could have been a gentleman about it and just said, oh, sorry, I thought you, I thought you looked different last night because I was really hammered. I wouldn't say that. I'd probably do the same thing he did. Well, and just fuck off. Yeah, I probably would. Because you're not going to see her again. Well, you might, because this is Britain, mate. Oof. It's Britain. I was thinking, why am I doing this to myself? And that's part of why I've now given up. You know, <laughs> I feel like I've made the right decision if that's the girls who are in my league. See you later. You know, I don't think that's the girls that are in your league. No, I think we were all in agreement that, uh, like, Twisted Five Star is not bad looking. He's got good chat. Like, he's funny. He could probably, he could easily go for any kind of lass he wanted. But... To Kate's point, though, I wouldn't shoot your sights on a fucking 10. I wouldn't think you're going to get a supermodel. I mean, you might. Right. Well, firstly, there are no supermodels where he lives. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, okay. That doesn't qualify that statement. You are dating English birds. (laughs) Dude, aim for a six that can become an eight. You know? Yeah, well, that's the thing. You know, at Christmas time when she puts on a nice dress and does her hair, she's an eight. But like, I'm not saying I look fucking good all the time. Like, 
when I'm in the house, I don't fucking do it. But I feel like he's like, you know, setting his sights like, I want to dig Kate Moss. Like, I, that's what he's expecting to date. It's not going to happen. Don't, well, don't expect that. I mean, I, I, I don't think you should. I think you should look for someone who's cool, but someone who you're also attracted to. But I wouldn't count this experience as like the future of every one of your dating endeavors, you know? No, I wouldn't either because this is just, what's happened to you is just banter and that happens to everyone at some point. We've all been there. Oh, I've been there. We've all been fobbed off as well. It all happens. I remember one time, uh, there's this one stripper who is, when I worked at, uh, at, at the Gold Club back in the day, I can't remember her stripper name. I probably shouldn't even say it. But anyway. Well, I think it's fine to say her fake stripper name, do you? Of I a think, girl from 20 years ago. I, I think, think it was Hel- Helena is, I think it was a stripper name, but I'm, I'm blanking on it. But anyway, she was super hot. And she was like, yeah, we're gonna, she's like, do you want to go down to San Diego? I'm going to be there with my girlfriend and she's hot and we're going to be hanging out. And this, you know, this would be fun. I'm, you know, it'd be great to have you there, blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, well, I got a you know, buddy of mine too that she's like, oh, is he hot? And I'm like, yeah, more or less. Kessler. <laughs> <laughs> like more or less. Wait, was this fat Kessler or thin Kessler? Uh, I think it was like junky Kessler that he wasn't fat, but he was definitely not. I wouldn't say he was like thin at this point. He no was monobrow Kessler. Weight. Did he have his monobrow? No, no. He had long he, hair. Okay. And like, yeah, but okay. I mean, he, he wasn't. Yeah, sure. He he wasn't Fabio, if that's what you mean. Kessler's not unattractive, though. But he he was definitely kind of very junky looking. He was dirty, kind of smelled bad. But okay. um, but anyway, we drive down. I remember because he had the he had a fucking like 1965 Mustang that yeah. he drove like a grandma. Like he drove he drove like 40 miles an hour on the freeway. I was like, dude, you gotta let me drive. This is ridiculous. And he's like, you're gonna drive too fast. I'm like, I'm not. It's a fucking Mustang. You got a muscle car. And you, you, you drive it like an Alzheimer's grandma. This is crazy. And so he let me drive, and he was, like, freaking out. It was an awesome car, though. It was really cool. I'm just going to quote the rabbi here. You drive like a bat out of hell. Whatever. But so we get there, and, uh, yeah, sure enough, she was going to hook me up with her friend. Who I wouldn't say was, like, <laughs> as bad as Twisted Firestar's experience, but, yeah, she was a big girl, way taller than me, and kind of big. and like just Amazonian? Blonde and not attractive, covered with shitty tattoos. And I was like, what the fuck? And she had a dude in San Diego already. That's the point where I would have been insulted and been like, you think that this would have worked. And when she's like, yeah, you two will totally get on. I'll be like, how? Well, the same thing with Twisted Firestarter. Yeah. But I think she said the same thing to me. She's like, your friend is not hot. Oh, Kessler. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if this was like a revenge thing or whatever, but her friend loved me. Oh, I and bet. So, oh, and she wanted to fucking get double teamed by both me and Kessler. You. Yeah, and we were like not down. She ended up being actually kind of cool. Like we had a ton of drugs and just ended up hanging out with her. Yeah, but no, no parking. Well, her friend, yeah, no, no ski sloping. She that night. really wanted to though. I, fe- I kind of felt bad, and I was just like, I leveled with her. I was like, it's not going to happen. And she's you like, felt well, bad because she was so desperate for shags. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And she was just like, why? I was like, I just don't think the chemistry's there. But I like you, and you're fun <laughs> to hang out with. There's no chemistry. Yeah, but physically, it's nah, it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and she like had her shirt off and everything. Like, <gasps> really? Yeah, oh, see, I've never. That kind of reminds me of Liv Tyler in Empire Records. I've never gone that far with a guy and been rejected, but I have been rejected in the stages. I've, I've especially been rejected by men after I've shagged them, and I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> but they just never called you back. They ghosted you. Oh, ghosted me, or just like led me on. And as soon as that happens, I just go cold as fucking ice to them, and I'm just like, you don't exist. And I hope you get cancer and you die really young. <laughs> <laughs> for rejecting me <laughs> how dare you anyway it happens tf yeah it's part of it happens. history mate. you're not a bad looking guy i'm sure you could score maybe you should just like you know lower your expectations what he needs to do is to find somebody who's got the banter that's always like you just gotta find somebody who's got the banter that matches your banter but he's got good banner though he's a funny guy yeah he is a funny yeah. guy he's got personality and as you say funny gets the fanny and it does i mean look at me but no seriously you should um i i think you should get back on the horse i I think you should be don't be a voluntary celibate yeah give it another shot give another shot although i do like hearing about your uh your dating uh your dating adventures so give us a call back on that one uh people you can call the sick around hotline 323-522-4032 we did get an email actually sick around podcast gmail.com from a girl named Jen, who had listened to the Lucy Leppy episode, episode 909, and she wasn't put off by the bubbling. <laughs> she wasn't put off by the bubbles. She actually said, D&K, just listen to Lucy Leppy case, and this is now my favorite episode ever. You guys did a great job presenting the case. I'm 99.9% convinced she didn't do it. Like you guys pointed out, it was a witch hunt full of circumstantial evidence and confirmation bias. I also wanted to say as a critical care nurse, you guys made excellent points. There's so many things that were completely implausible with this case. I wish more podcasts had an unbiased presentation like yours. On that note, can we have a sick and wrong t-shirt that says, Free let be. <laughs> yeah, we should. Thanks, Jen. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Jen. Yeah, in fact, so being nurses are awesome. I say this all the time. I want to get, I can't remember if it was Erica Landerson out of Hull who had that uh, Love a Nurse t shirt. You remember that? I think it was Eric. Nurses Hull. do rule, though. We should totally make a Love a Nurse t shirt in like their honor, and we should do a Free Lucy in their honor. Nurses rule. Thank you, Jen. And I do apologize for the audio quality of that episode. But once, once again, the content matter, the subject matter is great. Yeah. It was a well-researched episode and it was actually pretty engaging. It just bummed me out that kind of sound like And shit. we did all of that whilst we were moving internationally. I'm just going to point that out. Aaron, I'm just going to point that out. Aaron. Yeah. That guy can eat a dick. But Jen... <laughs> You're a legend. Yeah, you are. <laughs> um, big ups to all the listeners who listen to uh, support us on Patreon. We do appreciate you helping us keeping this show going, keeping it sick and wrong. Uh, Patreon.com slash sick and wrong or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Either way, uh, we appreciate it. Also, we do have some uh, some merch over at the T Public Store. You know, I made, you know what's funny? I made a, I made a mug of, uh, of Trump's mugshot. It's brilliant. Trump's mugshot on a mug. Actually, that's at the Red Bubble store because the, the T Public store is mostly sick and wrong related stuff. Um, but I, yeah, I don't even know how many I sold. None, probably. Yeah, probably not. Who wants, <laughs> who wants to look at that when you're drinking your coffee? But anyway, I do have a lot of new designs. I have a, a lot of new designs over at the, uh, the sick and wrong uh, store. I like my new Satan design I put up. It's got Baphomet with sick and wrong written on them. But go check it out. Sigaronpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. Get yourself some merch. Finally, here's Sigaron Song of the Week. I got to say, of all 
the 9-11 conspiracies, this is my favorite one. Okay. It's the coolest one. What is it? The, 1919, the 1979 Super Tramp album cover for uh, Breakfast in America Love it. reveals that Freemasons knew uh, about 9-11 years in advance. So if it's never the Jews, it's always the Masons. They knew about it. They planned it. Well... My dad was a Mason. Well, my dad actually dropped out the Masons because uh, he hit a financial crisis and no Masons helped him. So that's why he dropped out the Masons. But my granddad and my great granddad were both in the Masons. So they I don't have, want you I in have, the Masons. I have all their gear. If I'm, you're broke as a joke, they don't want you in the Masons. The, well, the Brotherhood is supposed to support you through dire times, but do they fuck? And I also worked for the Masons and I've heard a lot of their songs and they're weird. They're just weird men. Doing man things, you know, getting naked, doing man things with a skull. Well, they do. This is one of the best conspiracy theories here. So and according to the, uh, the, a video from the David Icke Conspiracy Forum, the Masons were behind the September 11th attack at the World Trade Center. And they left clues about this long planned event on the 1979 Supertramp album Breakfast in America. So according to the video... Super Tramp financier Stanley August Missiegas was a Mason who used the cover art of the best-selling album Breakfast America to reveal details about the planned event at the World Trade Center. So he wore what could be considered a Masonic pendant around his neck. And uh, they, they say he's a 33rd degree Mason, but that's debatable. But anyway, the iconic album cover has a bit of predictive programming. So there's a notion that's popular amongst conspiracy theorists that the overlords embed messages into pop, pop culture to yes. psychologically prepare the general population for events. In Breakfast to America. Well, I think in pop culture, rock albums, rock songs, it's like there's hints and clues of things to come look at the simpsons look at the simpsons Simpsons they predicted everything we should do an episode one day on that they predicted everything um so this evidence includes the covers depiction this cover the uh, breakfast in america album of the new york city skyline as seen from an airplane window Mm -hmm. there's one a waitress on the front cover, she's posing as a Statue of Liberty holding a glass of orange juice yeah. over the center of the World Trade Center, like with the New York skyline behind her, indicating the color of the fireball that would tear through the buildings. Well, fire Point is two. fucking orange. Just above the World Trade Center, if you hold oh the record God. up to a mirror, you can see that the U and P from Supertramp resembles the numbers 9-11. No. Did you do that? Point three. Yes, I have. Oh, and it does I was about to say, like mine's 9/11. on a boat right now, so I can't do that. You can do it in a second. Um, I have the album right here. The fateful event was to take place in the morning of September 11th, which is breakfast time in America. Oh, my God. That's when you have breakfast in the morning. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Point proven. <laughs> Coup de gras. It They predicted that this would happen. And furthermore, just to, 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 to pour a little... Uh, it's a flame. So pour a little gasoline on this fire. The words super and tramp are synonyms for great and whore, which indicates the great whore of Babylon. Oh, right. So what would they make of cheap trick? He's a whore. A figure from Christian mythology 
With Babylon also mentioned as a place of evil in the book of Revelation, America, evil. And if that's not proof enough for you, why does the back cover have another illustration of a plane flying above two twin towers, Kate Rambo? Why? I don't know. Why does it? Maybe because planes fly over Manhattan all the fucking live long day? Is it because of that? Maybe? Well, maybe there are clues in the song. We're going to end the show with Breakfast in America, oh, the title it- track from uh, Supertramp's 1979 album of the same name. It's the clue about the kipper part. That's my favorite part of the song. You've got to have kippers for breakfast. Mummy dear, mummy dear. I'm not sure what the uh, terrorists ate that day, but maybe. Maybe they had kippers. They might have. Uh, happy 9-11 day to uh, Kate Rambo and to all the Thank people you. out there. And I do feel you should make your coworkers feel very uncomfortable by asking them repeatedly, did you forget? <laughs> but don't say what. Just ask them, did you forget? And they'll be like, what do you mean? You forgot. Never forget. Never forget. Never forget. We'll be back next week with episode 912. Until then, take a sleazy. I can't begin my day until I've had a dick and cider. There's nothing better than waking up to a good old dick and cider. My girlfriend loves dick and cider. My sister came to stay with us for a month and my husband couldn't go a day without a dick and cider.
My girlfriend loves a dick insider. My mum loves a dick insider. My sister loves to wake up in the morning with a dick insider.